Our gospel reading this morning is from the gospel according to John, the first verse, first chapter. And it goes like this. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The word was with God in the beginning. beginning. Everything came into being through the word. And without the word, nothing came into being. What came into being through the word was life. And the life was the light for all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness doesn't extinguish the light. A man named John was sent from God. He came as a witness to testify concerning the light, so that through him everyone would believe in the light. He himself wasn't the light, but his mission was to testify concerning that light. The true light that shines on all people was coming into the world. The light was in the world, and the world came into being through the light, but the world didn't recognize the light. The light came to his own people, and his own people didn't welcome him. But those who did welcome him, those who believed in his name, he authorized to become God's children, born not from blood, nor from human desire or passion, but born from God. The word became flesh and made his home among us. We have seen his glory, glory like that of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I think poetry gets a bad rap. I think because that's most because when we think about poetry, most of us picture our ninth grade English teacher who forced us to read and find meaning in poetry in such a way that we could produce an end result for a paper that she would inevitably grade and then tell us if our interpretation of that work of art was supposed to be subject to lots of interpretations is the correct interpretation of that art. Maybe you can tell how my ninth grade poetry experience (laughs) turned out, huh? But I generally think poetry does get a bad rap. And maybe it's because we picture a black shirt wearing guy with a beret and a long like cigarette, you know, beat poet, and we all kind of roll our eyes. Poetry, we think, is for artists, those artsy types, you know, the sensitive people who are in touch with their feelings. Or maybe our problem with poetry is that we're too busy or too distracted to take the time to search for a deeper truth. We want the 30-second short story, just the facts and the overview, and so waiting to find meaning in a deeper metaphor is what we consider a waste of time. But the truth is, poetry is one of the ways we interpret the world. It's one of the ways we explain and understand the unexplainable, the things that are just beyond our grasp. And sure, it takes a bit of work, But if we look into the hidden meanings of poetry, we find that it expresses emotions and concepts we can't otherwise express. Take, for example, William Shakespeare's sonnet, 138. When my love swears that she is made of truth, I do not believe her, or I do believe her, though I know she lies, that she might think me some untutored youth, unlearned in the world's false subtleties. Thus vainly thinking that she thinks me young, although she knows my days are past. Simply I credit her false speaking tongue. On both sides thus is truth suppressed. But wherefore says she not she is unjust, and wherefore say I that I am not old? Love's best habit is in seeming trust, 
An age in love loves not to have years told. Therefore I lie with her and she with me, and in our faults by lies we flattered be. Now, it seems complicated, but all Shakespeare is doing is acknowledging the lies we tell ourselves and others to maintain relationships, right? In order to maintain unity, peace, social standing. It's the white lies of his day. You see, he loves this girl, and, and so he's willing to accept lies as truth in order to maintain relationship, and so that he can feel good about himself when she lies back, even though he knows that relationship is built on frost promises. They'll tell me that that doesn't have a ring of truth. And we accept poetry fine when it's set to music, like this poem by the great poet Simon and Garfunkel. Hello, darkness, my old friend. I've come to talk with you again, because a vision softly creeping left its seeds while I was sleeping. And the vision that was planted in my brain still remains within the sound of silence. Simon and Garfunkel are telling the truth about those moments when we wake up from a deep sleep late at night with that thought in our mind that won't go away. You know when you wake up and it's 2.33 a.m. and you keep picturing something in your mind that's been stuck there by a dream? They're telling you that this moment is more important than usual because it's dark and silent. And how, once we grasp onto those words and phrases, they tend to grow and blossom and become truth. How our dreams seem to know deeper things. The song goes on to tell how Simon or Garfunkel, I'm not sure who does the writing, tried to tell the people the truth about their nighttime experiences, but they couldn't hear because the people were already consumed by the gods they constructed. And so they were all doomed to the emptiness of silence. All in all, poetry gets a bad rap, maybe because it takes some work to hear the deeper truth that's embedded in its form and structure. But poetry is often one of the only ways we actually understand deeper truths about the world. Now, this resistance to poetry is a problem when it comes to reading the Bible, because the whole book is chocked full of poetry. Maybe it's more difficult to understand or recognize it because it's not always in poem form, you know, stanzas with lines that rhyme. But there's probably more poetry and poem-like passages than narrative ones in the Bible. In our reading this morning, John 1 is a poem. The poetry of John 1 mimics the imagery we find in Genesis 1, for surely the creation story is a poem. It's our first classic form encounter with it, of parallelism and metaphors and imagery. And so when we hear again those words of John echoed in the last book of Revelation, we understand that the Bible itself is an extended poem. It's a metaphor for the experience of living during times of war, of plague, pestilence, oppression. And where we often get tripped up with Bible poetry is the idea that because something isn't factual, that it might not be true. If John 1 isn't a literal description of Jesus' entry into the world that night at Bethlehem, does that mean that it's not true? If Genesis 1 isn't a literal description of the seven days of creation, does that mean the story isn't true? If Revelation is not a picture of the actual end times, does that mean it's not true? No, it just means it's poetry. 
And poetry is maybe more true than narratives. It's more true that in those stories in Genesis 1 and John 1 and Revelation 22 that the words we find in the beginning, in the middle, and the end of the Christian story are more true because they carry a deeper meaning than almost any other part of the Bible. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. Nothing came into being except through the Word. When God began to create the heavens and the earth, God's word swept over the waters, and God said, let there be light. Then the angel showed me the river, shining like crystal. They will see his face, and night will be no more, for the Lord Jesus will shine on them. The light of the world. Thanks be to God. All of these phrases, all of these items, all of these metaphors tell us a truth about Jesus who comes to Bethlehem in, that, in four short nights. It tells us a truth that God is a God who is eternal, is as eternal as words, as long and penetrating as light. As long as there is a spark, there is a glimmer of light in the emptiness of night. Jesus speaks even into a void. These poems speak a deeper truth than any scientific analysis or any understanding of the mechanics of the incarnation or the truth of a historical report of a baby born in the guest room. These metaphors themselves speak a truth which is unnameable, that God sends light into the bleakest night. Now, this year has taken some work to find the light. The imagery hasn't been so obvious, and it takes time for us to understand and discover the deeper truth under the chaos and confusion. The night has tried to overwhelm the light, but because the light is eternal, because the word of God speaks, the night, the silence, does not and will not win. We can name all of the things which are wrong, all of the things which try to stamp out the light. But this year, I've also seen light in so many ways. I've seen the light in this card I received this morning. There are not enough words to express how thankful I am for the kindness and compassion that Concord Presbyterian showed us during the death of our beloved Bill. From all the cards that were sent, the kind words that were said, the amazing and wonderful meal that was prepared for us, we are so thankful and blessed. Or this message I received, Liz, before I forget, will you please announce how appreciative we are of the prayers, virtual love, and kindness we have felt during this time. The food was delicious as always and so thoughtful. As always, our church is the best when it comes to making a family feel loved and special. Many thanks for everything, and we can't wait until we can be normal again. God's light is shining at Concord Presbyterian. Or this message. We wanted to thank our church family for the sweet gift cards that we received in the mail. We also feel all the love and support from our church family. We appreciate your kindness. It's humbling to experience. Or this one. This extra special thank you note sent to you today holds more appreciation than any words can say. 
For you are among the nicest people I've ever known. And you'll never be forgotten for the thoughtfulness you've shown. And these are just from the last two weeks. I could go back through the pile and dig out the archives and show you the stacks upon stacks of thank you notes we receive from people who see the light. The light has surrounded us in so many ways this year. Or I can tell you of the 75 different packages of craft kits that our youth put together. They spent time and energy cutting and sorting and labeling. And this week, 57 of those packages went to our sister's house for kids who are victims of domestic violence and have nowhere to live. The light is shining. Or I can tell you of our blood drive where people came from all over the place in terrible weather to give, to donate, to share what they have with others. The light is shining. And like the poetry of John in Simon and Garfunkel, we have to do some work, some digging to discover the truth. That in the midst of the looming chaos and disheartening words of our world, there is light for us to discover. When we look underneath the surface, beyond the understandings that are obvious, we find the deeper truth of a world of peace and hope. Now this is Peace Sunday, and none of what I've said so far has much to do with what I'm about to say, <laughs> or much to do with peace, to be honest. And so maybe this is a little bit of a left turn, and I'm going to acknowledge that, but I did want to mention one idea of peace which is weighing on my heart. You see, it came to me like Simon and Garfunkel in the middle of the night last night. And since I won't be here to preach next week, um, we will hear words of worship in the service by college students who participate in the Presbyterian campus ministry in Greensboro. But I have a few things to say about 2020. And since this seed was planted in me, I'm going to transplant a little bit of this tree into your garden, and I hope it will take root. It's time to make peace with 2020. It is, it's time. I know there are two weeks left, and if there's anything this year has taught us, it's to expect the unexpected, but friends, family of God, it is time to let go. To let go of the resentments we carry around with us, the grief for missed experiences and missed opportunities. It doesn't mean we have to like it or celebrate it, but it's time to make peace. It's time to acknowledge the pain and the loss and the grief, but also see the joys and the opportunities and the light that's shown through this year. We can choose to carry the page of this year into the next and let the weight and burden of it taint the next. Or we can make peace with it and leave it where it lay. How's that for a metaphor? <laughs> And we need to make peace with each other. The tension and stress of this year has heightened the tension and stress of our relationships. They've created more enmity and division among us. They led us to believe outlandish conspiracy theories, which confirm our prior beliefs. It's comforted us with feelings of superiority and sole ownership of truth, and it's time we make peace with each other, that we acknowledge our own responsibility and that we let the light of Christmas shine. And it's time to make peace with ourselves. 
It's been a year of decisions with no right answers, where self-doubts have grown unabated, where maybe isolation and lockdown brought out the worst in yourself. And it's time to hear the word of God speak truth to that self, to let the light shine into that dark place that maybe only you know about. And it's time to begin to find peace. That's my prayer for you. I pray for peace. I pray for light. And I pray for you to hear God's truth speak. It's time. Amen.